Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm very happy to have Ethan Glass in the virtual studio here. Hello, Ethan. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing well. And uh, where's your virtual studio? Los Angeles right now, over by Hollywood. Nice. In my apartment. In your apartment. Can you see the, everybody wants to know, you know, can you see the Hollywood sign? Can you, can you get there from where you're at? <laughs> I can get there, definitely. Um, and I can see it if I go to a certain angle. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, uh, it's great to have you on the show. We reconnected last week at the Long Beach Accelerator Open House. And Andrea, the director there, was saying, ah, you should uh, interview Ethan. He just turned down money. And I'm like, we're standing each other. And I'm going, right. You remember that? It's like, very well. It's like, I think we've been in the room together. And so for the audience, let's start there when you started your startup journey. And, and then we'll get down to the, um, how you made those tough decisions that you've made. So tell me about the original Park Place, right? Exactly. I appreciate it. So yeah, there have been quite a few iterations of this business as everyone goes through pivoting but when we originally started, um, I was at Occidental College, and I was fortunate to be on the soccer team there. And one of my younger teammates and I uh, decided to go on a quest to solve a parking nightmare around the LA Coliseum. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to an event there, but it's quite the mess with uh, yeah. owners selling some parking with signs. And it's uh, an, ex an experience, um, I might say. And... We initially tried launching a mobile app to allow reservations that quickly failed. I ended up on a futon for about three months, sleeping by the Coliseum and walking there every day and trying to volunteer and help homeowners sell parking, help commercial lot parking operators sell parking. And over time, fortunately, was able to learn some of the core problems that was going around the LA Coliseum. And that was really focused on the fragmentation in the parking technology space and this kind of break in the supply chain. And so what we started doing was saying, hey, uh, well, if we... So, so let me stop you there for a second, because I want to, you know, really emphasize. So you were surfing on a, on a futon for three months to really discover the industry, right? Is, is that, did I really hear you, you put you're everything into it? Yes. Yes. You're definitely correct there. I, <laughs> I tend to glaze past that one now, but yeah, I was, I found an apartment for about 150 bucks a month um, where all I had to do was put a futon on the floor and share the room with a couple people and was walking to the Coliseum every day to, to help sell parking and learn yeah. the industry. But if you hadn't done that, right, would you know what you know about the parking industry? Definitely not. Doing that has been instrumental in our journey. I truly feel that being on the ground level there and 
working with parking attendants and valets and volunteering as one. I didn't even get paid for most of it, which I, in hindsight, probably should have. Uh, but volunteering there on the ground level has helped build this level of empathy that when I'm talking to other parking professionals, we have a common ground in understanding that um, I'm not above anything. My team's not above anything. All of us um, on the ground level want to help sell parking and do a better job of that. And the experience of being there at the LA Coliseum, um, I would not trade that for anything. Very, very nice. So that's, you know, that's sort of a, a, a lesson to a lot of people. You know, you had that that fortitude to really roll up the sleeves literally and uh, get in and dive in and do whatever it took to solve that problem. So what is that problem? What's, what's the problem you, you sort of started to say it's a broken supply chain. And, and, and those are to me like fancy words. So <laughs> like what, what, what is it? What happens? For sure. So Parking should be pretty simple. As most people would believe, you go and you take your car and put it in a spot, you pay money to be there, and you take your car afterwards. But over the years, there have been an influx of parking technologies, not just for the gates that you'll see where you go pay with your card and then you get a ticket and it goes up and down, but right. you have these reservation platforms, you have these mobile apps, you have these websites. Um, you have the enforcement technologies, all this different, um, all these different components in the industry that are essentially competing with each other because a parking reservation platform is trying to sell the same inventory as another parking reservation platform. And so because of that, they don't want to communicate because if they're giving data to each other, they're going to steal each other's customers. And so where we come in is we actually help all of these different technologies communicate in like a kind of, I would say an agnostic way where they can help each other as co-opetition through our technology so that all of them are maximizing inventory they can sell. Because on the ground level, here's a problem that exists. Let's say you have a parking lot with a hundred stalls and you have five different sales channels. What you had to do for the past decade is give each channel 20 stalls. Now, one channel might sell all 20. Another channel might sell five. And so now you have 15 stalls that went unsold. Right. So, so what does an operator do? They say, well, you know, that one channel that sold all 20, let's give them 35. So now they have 35. The rest of the channels have 20. And you only have hundred spaces in your parking lot. But what about that other channel that sold five last time? Maybe they sell 10 this time and the other channel sells 35. Now you just oversold your parking lots. And so you have customers showing up and trying to park who don't actually have a space for them. This causes problems for the channels where you're getting all these customer service complaints. It causes blockage in the parking lot because you have ingress and egress problems entering and exiting. And ultimately everyone loses in this scenario. So what we do is we give a pool. So that hundred spaces as one channel books, the other ones drop down by one. So now the channels have access to a hundred stalls each and it's really first come first serve. Whoever sells the spot gets it. 
And that way it prevents oversold problems and also maximizes the inventory for each channel as well as the operator. Got it. Yeah. That's, so it's one of those little things, right? I'll go back to, you know, the early days for you, you would have never, I don't think you would have discovered that. Like I, I go and I drive into a parking lot and I just park my car and I, you know, if I have to pay, I go to the kiosk, I pay and then, and I leave. Right. And, and you're, and I never thought about the selling of spaces and, in, in, in where there's places where there's reservations, I presume. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, Put that into perspective for me, how, with all the new technologies that are coming out, you know, we're having electric vehicles, all sorts of things. Uh, is this a growing problem? Is this a, you know, what's how, what's happening there? Yeah, you hit it on the nose. The problem continues as more technologies enter the parking space. And parking's at this pinnacle moment where it's seen as kind of the intersection of mobility and transportation, as well as real estate. And so as you're trying to maximize this parking asset, you of course want to start leveraging rideshare businesses, as you said, um, electric vehicle charging, autonomous vehicles, all of these different opportunities that need real estate and where parking is a parking assets are a perfect junction of it all, brings more tech into space, which if these technologies can't speak to each other, causes an even larger fragmentation problem. And so where we sit is we continue to bring all these technologies into one centralized managed platform. And so the parking operator doesn't have to worry about trying to add five, 10 more technologies. They just do what they're doing best and they're selling the parking and they're managing the parking assets. And then our technology in the back end makes sure that the inventory doesn't oversell and that anyone who needs access gets access and that all the data is tracked in a streamlined way. You know, the way you say it sounds really simple, but I, I guarantee it's not. <laughs> it's well, for me, it's simple, but for, uh, <laughs> no, nah, I'm joking. It's we we're very fortunate. Our software engineers are absolutely phenomenal. So they're doing all the hard parts. <laughs> yep. um, all I have to do is speak to it, which I can try and dumb it down, but what they're doing is absolutely extraordinary. And so I have to give them all the credit because they're doing the complicated work. My job's the simple part where I just get to talk. So nice. So you, you talked about uh, when we talked about electric vehicles, electric charging stations. So that's part of it, and and the real estate. So it's sort of this, you know, transportation as service, uh, mobile tech meets real estate. I, I like that analogy a lot. It as you. <clears throat> So how did you pivot, like that real pivot point? So what, what, what helped you really like see clarity in that journey? What was the, is, was there any particular moment? Like you were, I've heard of people, you know, singing in the shower and they get the little bright light, you know, they're walking on the beach with their dog. So was there a, a moment where you said, this is the pivot to make and this is the direction I'm going? Yeah. So our pivot was made for us very much. Uh, we were an event parking operator up until COVID-19 hit. And as you can imagine, event parking was demolished. <laughs> so yeah. we, uh, as a team, we had to sit back for a second and say, 
how do we position ourselves? What's our path forward? At this point, we have no idea when event parking is coming back. And we decided to actually go on LinkedIn, build a scraper and reach out to about 3000 parking professionals, ranging from valets to CEOs, parking operators, tech companies, everything in between and interviewing them and saying, what problems do you have? Um, what tech initiatives are you looking at going forward and how can we help? And it was pretty ubiquitous that all these parking operators had this fragmentation problem where they were logging into five, 10 different dashboards to do one single task. And they said, you know, if you have that available, we don't have the resources or personnel to build that out. We would love to license it from you. And so we then recognized that our strength could be in that software space, being a SaaS platform in the industry and remove ourselves from parking operations so that we don't compete against our, our uh, customers. And we really found that niche and built out the MVP. We're, we were very fortunate to work with all of the right players in the industry and get mentored by some key personnel who have really helped us, us along that path. And the whole business was built virtually on LinkedIn and Zoom um, for the pivot. And because of our knowledge of the industry and the ground level, it helped in those conversations that we could empathize with what their problems were and really listen to them and, uh, and be the problem solvers for them. Right. So it's, it's the same kind of thing as, as the grassroots of, you know, volunteering uh, parking cars for events to learn how that was. But, you, but this time you had a little bit more resources because you actually could scrape LinkedIn and, and, and you know, do that. But you had those skills that you developed, right, to know kind of what to do. Yeah, I think you're seeing kind of a theme that <laughs> we used to like volunteering and helping people and in yep. doing so find ways to, uh, to add value and then, um, of course, build a business off of it. Nice. And where, where are you at now? So you, you know, might get, uh, you've, you've got several people using your product. You're this built out some software. Where, where are you today? Yeah, thanks. Now we're scaling. So now is the fun part because the product has been proven. We brought on an extraordinary team of people from the parking industry, as well as um, engineers that have had very successful careers. And together now, we're really, uh, we're finishing up V2 of the product and the platform, which should be coming out next month. And in the meantime, we're onboarding hundreds of new locations across the country. Um, we're building really great partnerships with a bunch of tech vendors um, throughout the U.S. and Canada. And uh, we're just really excited. We have all the right people and now it's just time to execute. And fortunately, we all love execution. And uh, it's time to pour gas into fire and just grow this thing. Very nice. So I know I, I always get a lot of questions. How did you find all the people that you have? right? Because at the beginning, I don't know that you had gobs and gobs of money to pay people. So what, what was your secret sauce to get people to join your team and your vision and passion? Yeah. So I would say that my co-founder is much more attractive than me. And so just <laughs> um, but, um, so if he's listening, then Nate, I'll give you that shout out. Um, but actually, we put a lot of time and attention into building the right team 
fortunately, we are not a company that has to kind of blitz scale and hire 50, 60 new people in a year. That's a very tough task. Um, we're really calculating who we bring on, that they're part of the right culture, that they're here for the right reasons. And ultimately, that we all have to have aligned goals and incentives. Um, it's in this day and age, I mean, hiring engineers is very difficult. Every startup friend of ours who's trying to hire engineers is having difficulty with that. And uh, the market rates are very high. So you have to find the people who are in it for the right reasons. And fortunately, we have found those people. And um, I think that emulates itself is when we're going out and recruiting others. Um, we have them talk to the whole team. We say, hey, talk to someone in marketing, talk to someone in sales, talk to someone in dev, and really get an understanding of what kind of uh, company you're joining. And fortunately, we've, we've, it's taken time, but uh, I've never felt more confident in the team we have, and um, they make my life so much easier. I'm, again, I just get to go talk and uh, have fun with people, and they're all doing all the hard work, so. Very nice. Very, very fortunate. Excellent. Yeah. Can you expand a little bit on the word culture? Because, you know, we all have perceptions of what culture is. So what is it? What does it mean for Ethan? It's a great question. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> so something that's hard to put in a soundbite for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the word So there's a company in parking um, uh, that they'll know if they listen to this, who they are, but they've had to let some people go during COVID and they um, have gone through quite the, the journey themselves. And I would say that they emulate a great culture. And the reason being is they've had people who have left their company uh, because of layoffs and um, things completely out of their control. And the way that they speak about their company afterwards is pretty exceptional. And I think that a culture can be defined by how former employees talk about um, the people and the company and the mission and what that organization is trying to achieve. Because there are, of course, times when you leave on bad terms. But if you have that many individuals who speak that highly of an organization they used to be a part of, I think that speaks for itself. Because everyone, of course, at the current company usually won't, I would say, typically won't say bad things about it. Um, but it's very easy once you leave an organization to say, like, oh, this is what was wrong. This is what can be better. But I would say the goal of what we're trying to create is a company that one day when people are no longer at Accra, that the way that they speak about this company is of the highest caliber. And so that's my goal um, for our culture. Nice. And that, that attention to the culture, did that, did that evolve? Was that always from day one? Did, did you, was that just a, a natural you know, tool that you used and to think about what company you were building or did you have to learn that skill? Yeah. So being part of soccer teams my entire life and playing through college, um, I think was something that I always appreciated um, being a, as a part of a team, whether I was just a team member or a captain of a team, or there's been times I've coached soccer teams, um, seeing how players talk about each other off the field mm -hmm. and talk about the coaches and talk about um, the team they're a part of 
was something that was always fascinating. Yep. And one of our core values is empathy through interaction at our at Acra. And it's Love because that. empathy have, through interaction. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. We, so no one's above anything. Um, we're all here to support each other. And as a team, I mean, it's incredible um, what can happen when everyone really views each other as equals. And I mean, there are messages we're answering at 10, 11 o'clock on Saturday nights. We're just genuinely happy to help each other. And whether that's regarding the company or regarding something personal, um, I think that it's a testament to the whole team for the culture that each person is trying to build and making the company that they want to work for. Very nice. Yeah, I, I certainly, um, having done AYSO soccer for my daughter and coached and, and been a referee for uh, that as well, I can certainly see when a team, a uh, soccer team is on the field and there's a ball hog and it doesn't seem to work very well. And then there's a team that is passing and moving the ball around and sharing it and, and attacking the field together. It's a great sport for teaching um, that team belonging camaraderie. So very nice. Definitely. Good, good, good way to lean into your strength. It's, it's all of our strengths. <laughs> I would say that uh, it can't be done just from me or Nate alone. Um, everyone who comes in is really brings the, the culture to a higher level. So, yeah, um, I appreciate the humility, but uh, I, I would, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, but, but you had that to begin with, right? You didn't start out as a ball hog, right? You started out wanting to share the ball. Right. So if you had been a CEO that wanted to hog the ball, you would probably have a little bit different culture than you're building now. 100%. And yeah, you're, you're, that's a very good way to say it because that's part of our culture too, is when we go and talk to customers, we don't want to be the smarter one in the room. We want, they're the more intelligent one. They're the subject matter experts. And so we can learn from them. And if we had taken that ball hog mentality, we'd come and say, oh, we're a tech company. Here's our ideas on what we should do. This is revolutional. And, you know, the typical like tech founder um, adage, right. of, like we're going to save the world. But <laughs> I know really, better. Like, right? <laughs> exactly. We're here to solve problems. We're here to listen and learn and grow with these other companies. And so there's no room for ball hogs. It's, it has to be a collaboration not just internally, but externally too. Very cool. Yeah. And I, and I hope the audience listening can really appreciate that, that, that when you're building your business, if you intend to build something, you, that's what you'll end up with. If you, if you don't intend to, you'll end up what you didn't intend to. And so <laughs> be careful, <laughs> be careful. Um, so that, let's come back to, you know, how we, this full circle though, you, you went through the accelerator in the long beach and, and the, the byline was, Hey, Ethan just turned down a bunch of money. So help me understand what that was, what that comment meant and uh, how you, how you made that decision. <laughs> yeah. So the, the accelerator first off, big shout out to long beach accelerator was transformational in our process. Um, all the individuals there, Andrea, Sue, uh, John, 
just I can't say enough for the help that they've given us. Um, and also the other cohort members too. It's a very collaborative group um, where we've learned a lot from each other. And yeah, I would say we were in a unique position that we started the accelerator in February of 2021, finished it up in around May of 2021. And by the end of it, we had a pretty large parking company trying to buy us. And in our stage and positioning, is a track in a very attractive amount and um, coming from where we were and sleeping on a futon not too long ago. Um, it was definitely tempting to say like, do we take this acquisition offer? Um, and is this the right time to sell the company? And ultimately going through that process, we learned a lot and we decided that through kind of the help of a lot of other uh, industry key stakeholders, there was more room to grow the company. And um, a lot of them said, hey, let's support you. If, like whether it's financially or whether it's connections or growth, like we see the value of Opera in the parking industry. And we advise you not to take the acquisition offer because you have a lot more to deliver um, to, uh, to parking. And hearing that from enough different people in parking actually influenced us to say, you know what, let's actually keep building this and let's not just take the early acquisition and let's make a big impact on, on what we're doing and uh, continue growing. And fortunately, I'm very, very glad that we made that decision because since then, um, it's just, I mean, every founder wants to get hockey stick growth, um, which of course is there's always a little bit more bumps and ridges in the way before there's actual hockey sticks. But I feel like we've just been exploding um, left and right and we wouldn't have had the opportunity if we'd taken the acquisition offer um, at the time. Yeah. I, I, I want to come back to the, you having the ability to go to your customers, which I'll call partners in the way you describe them, their partners and, and say, Hey, this is what we're facing. What, what's good for the industry. Is that a fair characterization? You were able to ask that. Yeah. 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 That's a very yeah. good point. Right. Which, which is not, you know, not everybody can able is um, as a great testament to you really listening and serving the industry, right? Um, the it's very clear uh, from my perspective. If you had sold out, um, the industry would been owned by you know they would have owned the technology and prevented you know the competition. And in fact, the advantage is to the entire industry benefits from having that free flow of information, you know? So it's, it's, their strategy was a great one for preventing uh, change in innovation and cooperation and, and actually probably limiting their growth. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. It was definitely a hard decision. I mean, turning down that kind of money, especially at 24 years old was not a simple and light decision. Um, but as a team, we got together and we were all on the same page. Um, we had all the same goals for what we wanted to do growing the company. And externally, we just knew that in talking with the like incredible members of our industry who are very close to our team, um, the right move for us was to keep growing it. And at one point um, down the road, we'll see where that leads us in terms of an exit. But at this point, we're really excited just to continue growing the company and 
um, pouring gas in the fire because there's tons of room and um, it's a big industry. Yeah. So, so help me understand how big, you know, how, how do you measure your industry? Do you measure it by the number of parking spaces under that are in your API? <laughs> so that would be a good value metric for us actually. Uh, <laughs> but we actually measure it based off location count. So, because our model is we charge um, a SaaS fee monthly per location. And we do have transaction fees set up with a, a few different companies. But for us, it's about trying to get to as many locations throughout the US as possible um, in the right time frame, because that um, critical mass network effect for us allows us to tap into other networks and bring in players in micromobility and other partners um, from within the industry and externally to the industry. So our goal right now is increase the amount of locations we're working in, also always um, build more integrations with other tech vendors. And right now, I think we're around 15, and we'll probably double that by the end of the year. And yeah, our, we're, we're just in that growth stage. So we do have a lot of stalls under management, parking spots. Um, we, the reservations are in the millions. Um, I think last year we did something like $15 million in revenue um, across um, all the transactions that went through our platform. And parking is a big industry. So we have a lot of room to grow and we're really excited about that. Very nice. Uh, so you talked about that, you know, I, I picked out a vanity measure and I agree, you know, the number of parking spaces is a vanity measure. I, I think uh, uh, the, the number of satisfied operators is probably um, a better measure. Uh, it probably even a better um, measure it might even be how many, how many operators refer you to another person that's an operator. Yeah, complete defense. <laughs> I was I was partially joking with the value metric. Um, it's everything is important. We're a data company. We'll ingest anything we can, and then we'll find a way to synthesize that and turn the value. And so we're very customer focused, as you can tell. So for us, it's always about the customer first. But uh, we do uh, we do collect all this data and um, nice. try and use it to deliver more value. Perfect. So. Uh, our time has just flown by. Um, where, what help? Is there any help you need from the audience that uh, you're looking for? You, 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 you needing a big uh, data scientist. Uh, you the, the, the incredible sales. You know, a bucket full of gold. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Any any moment. <laughs> but yeah, I would say just for the audience, if this is a team that you want to be a part of. Um, we do have more open positions that we're hiring for this year, and we're just always happy to talk to more individuals and see what kind of synergies there are. So um, please reach out for a conversation. Also, if there's anything that I can help with in giving advice or tell stories about um, our journey over the past few years, I'm always more than happy to do that too. So just feel free to reach out. I can probably give my contact information um, and would love to chat with anyone. Absolutely. I'll have all of that information in the show notes. And likewise, uh, you can always uh, ask the savvy founder uh, at askthesavvyfounder.youcanbook.me. And I'll make sure Ethan gets all of those questions. And if there's enough questions, we'll have him back on the show. It'd be fantastic. 
It's been an absolute pleasure, Ethan, and a remarkable journey from uh, from uh, futon to growth. I think that's the title of your new book. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. With that, I'm wishing this is Philip Topham, the savvy founder. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please leave a five-star review. And better yet, share it with another founder who is wanting to, to shorten their journey. If we've shortened your journey a, a month, a week, a day, then we've done our job. Thanks again. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and professional lives. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.